Hey, this is Vanessa Corwin. I'm the Prevention Services Coordinator at King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, or KSARC. Welcome to an episode of Building Resilience, a project with the purpose of equipping people with what they need to end sexual violence. As a multiracial woman, I have absolutely felt the contradictory pressure to both conform to gendered expectations of BIPOC women to be quiet, subdued, obedient, and simultaneously strive towards very masculine leadership styles of being assertive, opinionated, and a quick decision maker. It's definitely no secret that U.S. society as a whole values certain communication styles over others. I think about my time in college and a number of classes where grades were heavily tied to how much you participate in class discussion. I found it challenging to express myself vocally right on the spot, but had a much easier time doing so in written assignments that I could mull over and work to craft with intentional language. A lot of instructors told me I should speak up in class and share my insights, but I wish they had just considered that this wasn't the easiest way for everyone to communicate and process. I'm definitely a fan of any conversation that normalizes the idea that there are multiple valid ways of being. I spoke with KSARC's Family Services Specialists about how thinking through communication styles with parents can help them create stronger relationships with their kiddos and how giving intentional thought to the variety of communication styles out there can only help us out in all of our relationships, whether it's with our friends, family, coworkers, or classmates. Hi, I'm Deanne Yamamoto. I'm the Deputy Executive Director at KSART. Hi, I'm Erin Esteban. I'm the Bilingual Family Services Specialist. Hi, I'm Karen Culp, and I'm the Family Service Specialist at KSARC. Hi, I'm Marie Pareda, and I am a, another Family Services Specialist. And I'm Vanessa Corwin. I'm the Prevention Services Coordinator at KSARC. This is a great topic, all communication styles. So let's, let me explain a little bit about the first topic that we want to sort of focus on. And we call it TFA, and it stands for thinking, feeling, and acting. And let me explain that a little bit, because in everyday interactions, each one of us thinks and we feel and we act but we might do it in different orders. Some people think first, then they feel, and they act. Some people feel first, then they think, then they act, and so forth. For me, I feel first, then I think, and then I act. Order is important in some ways, but the more important thing is there's always a place where we dwell. There's a place where we do our best processing. So some people dwell in thinking. Thinking dwellers need to process information. They need to mull it over. They need to um, just talk it through or get research on it. They're thinkers. They just think through problems. Feeling dwelling people need to feel the emotion, be acknowledged about the emotion they feel about something. They process information through feeling. A lot of times people who are feelers have gotten the statement made about them that they, they're too emotional. They're, um, they wear their heart on their sleeve. Whereas thinking-oriented people often get the statements of, you just over-process everything, don't you? Okay, so that's thinking, and that's feeling dwelling people. And there's a third one, and that's people who dwell in acting. They dwell in motion. They are action-oriented. So the problem comes up, and they are out the door taking action to solve the problem, right? They don't stop to think. They don't stop to feel. Their first inclination is to act. They are solving their problems in motion, as they are moving. So that's people who dwell in thinking, people who dwell in feeling, people who dwell in acting. And this becomes important in communication because different styles might conflict. And so we want to talk a little bit about that in parenting because it becomes very important. And we hope that you can identify what your dwelling place is. And then soon you'll be able to identify what your kid's dwelling place is. And then we're just going to talk about it because we want to give you some examples of how that plays out in our lives and the people that we've worked with. So let's first start with feeling-oriented 
people, okay? I just told you that I'm thinking-oriented. So sometimes it is a challenge for me to work with people who are more feeling-oriented um, to sit in that emotion. It's not a natural place for me to sit. So let's talk about feelers. I'm a feeler. <laughs> <laughs> and so what does that mean, Karen? When you're faced with something, what does being a feeler mean? For me, it's it's my gut. It's my gut feeling, usually. Yeah. And and I think over the years, I've just got to know myself really well. So it's really, really easy for me to identify my feelings. So if I get that butterfly stomach in my feeling, in my, that butterfly in my tummy, then I want to know what's that about? What's that telling me? And before you're even able to articulate it, you just have that gut feeling, don't you? And so some people might ask you to, well, what does that mean? What are you thinking? But it, you just want them to trust your emotions. You want them to trust that gut feeling you have. Absolutely, because it's taken a long time over the years, but I trust myself. So it, you're right. It's, it's so important for other people to trust me. Mm-hmm. Because I'll be honest and say that I, I don't know. <laughs> and it has been it has been a journey for me too, because um, thinking oriented people I think value that. Well, we all whatever our dwelling place we value that space, right? And for us to move to that other space and value others in that takes work on our part. But it has um, it has grown me as a person to be able to value that in others. And it has grown me as um, a person to be able to take in that information from other people too, because I think all of these styles are important and we will do all of these things. So I guess that's the other thing to say about it is that um, after care and feels, I don't know what your order is, um, but you will also think and, and act on it as well. So it's just that place where you do your problem solving. That's that dwelling place. That's that important place. And it's, I think it's also helpful in, you know, not only just in relationship and marriages, right? Um, like, for instance, I'm a thinker, but my husband is very action-oriented. And he, and I sit and think and think. And even if it means just to buy a single can opener, okay, I do my research and I think, I think, I think. And he's just like, can you just buy a can opener? <laughs> so he'll go and that. buy a can opener. You know, but I will really do all my research. Well, this is what the reviews say, but it's that balance, I think, too, you know, um, and how it complements with one another. There's yeah. like different communication styles. And he's also has to be mindful, too, that I sit in thinking, but he already wants to act when it comes to solving problems with the kids, you know, with any anything, go, you know, he's like, OK, let's fix it versus, OK, let me, you know going to my natural bent of like, let's think about it. Let's do a research. What are the pros and cons, right? That can opener example is perfect though, because he's probably out the door making the purchase and you're still reading your, doing your research on it, right? <laughs> yes. But that is so true. I mean, that's how it is with raising kids too and the different parenting styles and kids have to get used to those different parenting styles as well. And I think, you know, when you brought up kids, Deanne, and I think this really you know, is knowing also, it's knowing your child too. Um, and knowing if your child is a thinker, you know, dwells in thinking. Um, my two boys are, they dwell in thinking. And um, without using this, I, you know, without using this, this tool or this strategy, I remember long before my husband would always think my oldest one was not paying attention to him. He's not listening to him, us, you know, He's just on drifting on his la la land until we, I was like, he's is a thinker. You know, he's thinking, he is paying attention. He's also inner world. So he's doing a lot of his processing inside. I bet you he's going to come back downstairs and he's going to talk about it, but it's being able to, um, to recognize that and acknowledge that. And so eventually my two older ones would come back down and be like, okay, you know, and I'm like always turning around telling my husband, I told you they were, th they were, they're listening, they're paying attention. And I think it's important for parents to recognize that because sometimes they do think that, okay, he's ignoring me. He's watching TV. 
Um, he's looking at his phone. They're really listening sometimes. And it's, those are some cues too when in raising kids is, if, and they're able to recite exactly what you said. <laughs> yeah, I think from my perspective as the kid in this like, you know, example, um, my dad is definitely a thinker. So I'll like, you know, spill my guts to him when I'm younger and he would just be like silent or like, you know, doing something else. And I'd be like, why aren't you just like acknowledging what I'm feeling? Why aren't you just like talking to me? But he was listening. It just took him a second to kind of, I guess, you know, process and think through mm-hmm. what, you know, advice he could give me. But I thought it was so rude of him when I was younger. <laughs> That's a great example. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then as parents, we have to, because we don't want our kids to interpret that as rude. So we do have to pay attention to what our kids' style really is, because we do have to value that style in that place that they're at, right? So we have to acknowledge that emotion. Otherwise, kids will walk away and will think that um, they're not valued or they're not loved. So even if that isn't my strongest or my dwelling place, I need to know that that's my kid's dwelling place. And I'm going to sit and I'm going to acknowledge all of those emotions. Um, And I'm going to give them a hug and I'm going to nurture them through that um, to get them into um, a better place for sure. Um. And I think too, Deanne, when you describe thinkers, I'm all, I also think about people who are thinkers, um, where sometimes they're perceived as having no emotions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that if something happens, there's still there's no emotion coming out, but it's they're really just processing that in their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, my middle child is very you cannot tell if something really excites him or whatever he's processing it and then you're able to see like okay that was exciting for him right Mm -hmm. um but he's just he just holds it all in you know yeah yeah, it's interesting because when I was a child, I used to I used to really admire those feelers because they would have high feelings and be so excited about things, and they would express the low feelings. and I And I was always in my head. I was always in my head. So I admired the feelers, and I wanted to be one of those feelers, um, but I'm not. <laughs> so it's not that we lack those things. It's just not. It's just not the first thing you're gonna see. Hmm. You're going to, it's not the dwelling place. It's not where I spend most of my time. And so that's the same with the the feelers and the actors. Um, So people who are action oriented, they are in motion and it's hard to slow them down. And maybe we don't want them to because they are doing things by trial and by error and they're going to get that problem solved. Right? Megan was, you talk about Megan. Megan is a, she's so action oriented. She was my supervisor before. And I've come to her. Um, to process, to process or to, you know, to vent. And, and she is quick to go turn around to her desk and start typing up an email. And I've had to stop her and like, stop, you know, I go, I just need to talk. I just uh-huh. need to, <laughs> um, to process, but that's her action oriented. She has to remember, okay, yes, you're Marie, you, you know, um, and so it's paying attention to that. Yeah. Yeah, y'all are going to get to know all our staff because when the people that you work with closely, you get to know their style really, really well, and it's easy to use them as examples and things. Same with your family. I mean, your family members, you'll get to know their style really, really well. And that's what we hope is that people can learn each other's styles. So, you know, for me, for example, um, I would say my, like, really quick reaction in when confronted with a problem is to try to do some action, try to find a really quick solution. And then where I go to from there is is thinking. And I spend a lot of time thinking before I actually take any final <laughs> decisions or, or make any any final um, kind of choices. And I you it's funny because you could tell probably like what my style is just by like looking at my Amazon shopping cart. Um, <laughs> because I often will fill it with things as I'm like, oh, oh, wait, no, this would be great. And I need this. And da, da, da. and then I'll leave it there. And I'll let it sit there for like a week while I think about it. And I'm like, okay, and I read all the reviews, and try to really process like, 
um, you know, what, what the right choice would be. And then, and then it's afterwards, like you, Deanne, that I, that I really kind of feel that emotion and, and kind of, you know, ultimately, you know, either, ha- you know, have like a good experience or, or regret ultimately kind of what <laughs> happened. Um, and I used to do it at the store too. I would walk around the grocery store and then, and then put stuff back before I go to check out. <laughs> Um, but when we're talking about this, like, you know, and working with other people or with our kids, you know, especially, um, you know, we, we really have to try to understand where our kids are coming from, you know, where, where are they dwelling? Because if we just try to come at them with a really logical response, you know, and talk through a problem so that they can really understand, you know, what, what's going on and why this happened and what they can do about it. Um, but they're in the feeling mode at that moment, you know, and they're just, you know, whatever they're feeling, they're feeling betrayed because their siblings were picking on them or they're feeling, you know, um, sad or, you know, whatever it is, if we don't really sit with them and kind of acknowledge that, you know, and, and validate them, um, then they're not really going to be able to move past that. Um, so even if it's not our go-to, even if we want to really quickly try to solve the problem or kind of talk through it and help them, um, you know, it, it's ultimately important for us to figure out where they're at, you know, and then kind of um, match them for a little bit, you know, so that they can feel that validation. Um, and I also feel like it it helps you know, them not to feel like they're crazy or something, you know, because especially Mm -hmm. if, you know, if they're kind of the odd one out and nobody else is kind of dwelling and feeling at that moment, you know, then, um, you know, they can kind of be, be called out as the one that's, oh, they're just too sensitive, you know, they just can't, you know, they can't take a joke or whatever it is. Um, and that's not actually the case, you know, the case is that they, um, they're just dwelling and feeling, you know, and once they can kind of process that, then they could, you know, move to thinking about it and and taking some action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of practical ways that I think this plays out and becomes important um, as we think about how we parent our kids. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, even, um, even day to day, you're, so many of our friends are just like us because we want to hang around people who are just like us, right? Who get us. You know, when we pick a therapist, you'll hear people often talk about, oh, she just gets me or she doesn't get me. I've got to switch. Um, and usually it's because of the dwelling place, usually because you've picked a therapist that dwells in thinking and you are dwelling in, in feeling and they just don't get you or action. You want to you want to know what the next action is you need to take. And the therapist is asking you all about your feelings. Well, that is about style. And so when you think about the friends that you have um, and the partner you have and your kids, um, start to identify what that is. And to be most effective, um, if you really want to communicate a really important point, it would be really important to bend to that style. It might not be your style, but if you want it to be heard, it's important to bend to that style and adapt your communication, your favorite communication style to their style. And you're going to see a lot of progress being made and um, sort of that get it, they get it kind of a thing happening. I think I'm just learning that with my 12-year-old because he's starting to develop his style more and more. And it, Either that or it's changed as he becomes a teenager. <laughs> and I have a really, really good example where he had a consequence last night and he had a complete meltdown that I've never seen before. So I had to change. It was it was a strange feeling for me because I did want to go to my feeling. I didn't want to be because that was my natural place to go. I didn't want to go there because that would have been too sympathetic for him. But I sat with him and I just, we sat in silence and I just, and he held my hand. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. And, and it was just, are you okay? You know, and explaining that it's okay. 
you're going to have all these different emotions going through you just now. Uh-huh. And then he went to bed and went to sleep and he was fine this morning. But I think I'm having to, I'm not quite sure yet where, where he's at. If he's at, because he's a feely, but he's also thinking, so I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, it sounds like in that moment he was definitely dwelling and fe- feeling. And if you even asked him his thoughts, he it would probably make him madder. He'd probably get more <laughs> frustrated. For you to just sit in the presence of that emotions and be okay with it was a gift you gave to him. I think oh. that is just precious. I love it. And, you know, he might come around if he is, I, I don't know him, so I don't know where he dwells. But certainly in that moment, he was full of emotion and he just needed to be in that space for that amount of time um, and probably couldn't even wrap around, wrap his own brain around why he was in that state. Um, mm-hmm. And so I bet you there's going to come a time when he's going to come back around and, and process that with you in a different way with words. Mm-hmm. Um and that's, I think it's kind of starting. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture of just sort of adapting to what your child needs in that moment. It's learning. I think someone said that earlier. It's definitely a learning new strategies, new new ideas for parenting. Every day, it's never the same. Absolutely. And each child is different. Oh, yeah. My kids are 28 and 26, and I'm still learning. (laughs) That's the beauty of being a parent and just watching them grow, too, is um, and being constant learners. I think it's great. Well, the other style we wanted to talk about is something that we refer to as inner world and outer world. Some people call it introvert and extrovert, and I've just not wanted to use that term because so often people think introverts are shy, extroverts are outgoing. And when I'm referring to inner world and outer world, I'm not talking about that character trait of being shy or being outgoing because that can be anybody. That can be an outer world person could be shy too. But inner world folks, and and Marie alluded to this earlier, inner world people want to process in their heads first. So in a meeting or in a family gathering, they're probably going to be the last to speak up about something because they're taking in information, they're processing it. Um, If they could read all the Amazon reviews, they would (laughs) before they then talk about um, what's going on. So you're going to see a lot of silence from inner world people. We're just processors. So I'm an inner world person. Outer world people process out loud. In fact, they need to. They need to have a sounding board. Outer world people will process when nobody else is in the room. You'll hear them talking to themselves because they need to say it out loud to process it out. So inner world and outer world, that's the other thing that is important. And when Marie alluded to being having an inner world child um, who needed to process before they needed to speak up, that was important in that moment, because if she would have asked that opinion in that moment, you probably would get, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've said that a ton of times as a child when I was forced to speak up at before I had a chance to process it. It was always, I have no idea. And, or, or people thought I was incredibly shy and I'm not a shy person. I don't have a fear of speaking up, but I want to process the information in my head first. Whereas outer world people need that space to talk it out. Okay. So inner world, outer world. I don't know what examples you have about that and maybe even identify your own style and how that's been. I'm definitely an outer world. And I can visually see when my process land on my body sort of thing. And I can, because sometimes when I'm processing, I can contradict myself as well. And sometimes that, that's okay because... I can hold both. That's the other thing with outer world people. Yeah, the first word spoken is not their final opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely inner world. um, and, And sometimes, depending on the situation, sometimes that means that, you know, I, I'm not ready to like, respond, you know, right in the moment. 
because I might need some time to kind of mull over things, um, you know, depending on, on the situation. Um, so, and I see this kind of, you know, coming up, um, you know, like with, you know, with our kids and stuff. I mean, I think a lot of times if they're, if they're in our world, you know, they, we might kind of see them as non-responsive, you know, or kind mm-hmm. of, you know, not cooperative because they're not really willing to engage in that conversation, um, you know, when really maybe they just need some time, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of sort through things internally before they're ready to really talk about it. Yeah, and I think the value of um, even understanding this whole concept of inner world and outer world is we could give that knowledge to our kids as well. Because I remember growing up and I had gotten the label of being shy so much that I honestly thought I was shy, that I had no opinions, that I couldn't speak up. But really, once I started to understand my style, it really gave me sort of... um, an energy boost or a self-esteem boost when, because I know that when given the time and the space to think about things, I can come up with, um, I won't go so far as to say brilliant thoughts, but I can come up with something. Yeah, I completely, um, feel all of that. Um, I'm definitely an inner world person and I, you know, often got, um, made fun of for being like indecisive by my friends and stuff. But really, I just needed time to think and then I would know exactly like what I wanted. Um, And I definitely applied, I try to apply this to the classroom setting as well, because I was definitely, you know, that student that had to think things through. And I want to be um, intentional with the words that I put out, right? Yes. Um. So, you know, in the classroom, it might look like me you know, giving folks a couple seconds or a couple minutes to just like process and think over the answer to something and then, you know, turn to your person next to you and then have this conversation. And then, you know, anyone want to share out loud and kind of like build up to that to give people more time to just think through ideas and concepts that they, you know, it's in them. They just have to find the right way to express it, Mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So inner world need that time. They need time to process. They need time to gather information. But outer world people, huh, Karen, you need time to process it out loud. You need time. You need airtime. And you you want people's help to process that and give you ideas and do it all out loud. Mm -hmm. That bit, it's the feedback. And sometimes it's like, that that can be scary, getting people's feedback as well. But well, and you may not agree with the feedback, but it's helping you process the information more, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And so when you think about that with our kids, you know, demanding an answer right now is not going to work for an inner world person. And for an outer world world kid, you just need to take the time to hear all the thoughts and feelings and always remember that that first thought out of their mouth is not their final they will walk through it. And so walk with them through it as they process it out loud. Yeah. And don't hold it against them when they contradict themselves, like Karen was saying, because, you know, sometimes, you know, as they're processing, you know, they might realize as they say it out loud, oh, no, that's not really what I think, or that's not really how I'm feeling. um, Or it's not a good idea. But when it that first came out, you know, they had to kind of put it out there to, to figure that out. I also would say that, you know, for people that have more than one child, you know, kind of observing, um, the interactions, because I think, you know, as an inner world person, you know, growing up, um, and even now, you know, a lot of times I have a lot of great ideas, you know, I think, um, but, in like a group setting or in conversation, you know, a lot of times it's hard to, to get a word in edgewise because I'm kind of like thinking and thinking and trying to figure out what, how I want to say it and, and, and everything. And by the time I get to the, the, like find a pause in the, in the conversation or something, you know, that topic is passed or, (laughs) you know, or it's, you know, it's, it's, is not the right moment anymore. And so it's kind of, um, you know, I think for kids, you know, that are more inner world, you know, 
we need to give them opportunities, you know, to have um, a platform, you know, when they're ready to talk, because um, they definitely have something to say. Um, you know, like Deanne mentioned, you know, they're not just super shy and can't speak at all, um, you know, but they it's it's not as easy to like butt in and, you know, interrupt or try to, you know, kind of edge your way into a conversation full of outer world people who are more than happy to just keep talking. <laughs> I used to in a classroom setting, I used to love it when there were a lot of outer world people because I just wanted to sit in my little space and think. Um, and so I was happy that they filled the space. But there are there are times too. you're right, Erin, where you have to make space for your inner world child to be able to express themselves too. That's a very good point. Yeah, and there's some phrases that I have learned to use, and maybe you can come up, Karen, with some outer world phrases. Um, you know, I call it my stall tactics, but I do think it's a part of um, teaching one another how to communicate, because I will say, um, I don't have thoughts right now, but I, I know that they're coming. I know that I'm forming them. I want some time. I, I need to take away some time and think about that. And with, you know, outer world folks, you can say, you know, I need some time to process that out loud. Would you mind just sort of noodling around with me and, and asking me questions so I can process this out loud? So I think we have to also let our needs be known um, in those moments and like not that. give in to the pressure of speak up, speak now, <laughs> forever hold your peace. I think that um, all of us need time and space. We just need it in a different way, right? The inner world people probably want to take take some time away and be private. Outer world people want to be in the presence of all of this thinking um, so they can fully form their thoughts too. So how do we see that in parenting? What are your kids? What are some things you've heard from other parents about that one of the things that this brings up for me in parenting is you know the idea that um we really shouldn't kind of like take our kids by surprise you know like I know like a lot of times I think we as adults are thinking okay like we're gonna do these plans we're gonna sit down and have this conversation we're gonna you know, make some decisions around whatever it is, um, you know, but if we kind of give our kids a heads up, you know, oh, hey, by the way, like, you know, you know, later today or sometime today, you know, we really need to sit down and talk about, you know, kind of the house rules or we really need to sit down and, ha you know, talk about this or whatever it is or um, kind of give them some notice. So that way, if they are inner world, you know, then they have some time to think about it, you know. Or if they're outer world, they have time to figure out if they need to kind of talk about it first ahead of time, you know, um, and, and it kind of, you know, shows respect, you know, that we, um, you know, see them, you know, as a, as a human being, you know, not just, you know, kind of a, a little person that has to just like do everything that we say, you know, that they, they really do have their own thoughts and feelings, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and so I think, um, you know, sometimes like giving them a heads up um, or kind of checking in, you know, if we need to have a really important conversation, you know, um, you know, kind of giving some options around that, you know, like is, you know, when would be a great time, you know, like maybe they're, you know, do their better thinking in the morning or at night, you know, maybe. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we can um, kind of adapt, you know, to our to our kids' needs. Yeah, and how does that play out? Because I can imagine you saying, you know, later on today we're going to talk about house rules. And I can see the inner world kid for the whole day saying, oh, are we going to talk about this? What about this? What about that? Does that happen, Erin? And the inner world is just sort of sitting back and waiting for that conversation, thinking about it in their heads. Um, but I can see that playing out in a different way in terms of giving them that advance notice. Definitely, definitely. And we each know our kids the best, you know, to know, like, if it's a really bad idea to give them a week's notice so they have all this time to, like, dwell and worry and, you know, and, you know, fret over, like, what it's going to be about or something, um, you know, and, and also, you know, to, to, um, 
to accept those kinds of questions, you know, when, when the outer world kids are kind of, you know, wanting to process even before we sit down to have this conversation, you know, then that's okay. I mean, you know, we can answer all the questions, you know, just like how we, you know, at work, we would have questions if they're going to say, oh, hey, we're going to have this staff meeting to talk about this thing, you know, next week. We might have a lot of questions before that, you know, worries or something, you know, and so kind of um, recognizing how we could, um, you know, just acknowledge that and validate, you know, um, and, and like I said, like not take them by surprise, you know, so it's not like this big secret, you know, we don't like having secrets. It's not a, you know, it's not a surprise, um, you know, what it is, you know, but to also invite them. Yeah. And, you know, let's, let's all bring something to the table, you know, let's bring each other's, um, you know, insights and feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and that example that you're giving kind of leads me to the next style we had hoped to talk about. And that's the two choices between these styles are you're either global or you're analytic. So the global learner likes the big picture. So they talk in terms of big picture, very few details. Um, they just talk very globally, whereas an analytic person focuses on the detail. Right. So, for example, with Aaron's thoughts about later on, we're going to talk about house rules. I can see um, that being perfectly fine for the global thinker. Okay, talking about house rules, fine, I'll go with it. But the analytic kid is going to want much more details especially an analytic outer world kid, right? They're going to want a lot more details. And so they're going to want to know, are we talking about what time meal time is? Are we talking about what our chores are? What exactly are we going to be talking about when we talk about house rules? And so that is another different style, um, global big picture versus analytic so I don't know if that resonates for you, Erin, in that example you were giving too. Definitely, definitely. I think, you know, I have multiple children and, you know, each one has a different style in part. And, um, you know, some of them are perfectly content with just the big picture and, you know, saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. Okay. And they're fine, you know. Um, and then And then a couple of them, you know, are really you know, wanting to get into the nitty gritty details and, you know, kind of, um, parse everything out. Um, and, you know, and so just kind of adapting, you know, to, to recognize that it's, you know, like, I think sometimes as parents, maybe we get, um, you know, we might feel frustrated or irritated, like if we're getting a lot of questions from our kids, you know, because, um, you know, maybe it seems like I thought I already gave them a decent enough explanation, um, you know, but just understanding that sometimes, you know, they might, they might need to understand the details, you know, um, because that may, they may not be global, they may not really um, feel comfortable just having the big picture. Um, and on the reverse is also true. Like sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm very detail oriented, um, very analytic. And, you know, sometimes I can get a lot into the details. And some of my kids will be like, Ah, like I'm that's okay like I don't need to know anymore I'm good you know I, I get it you know and and they already tuned me out because I'm you know getting too much into um into the details or maybe not seeing the big picture for what it is you know um so so there are a lot of different ways you know that that kind of um plays out you know but sometimes um you know once like for, for somebody who's global, like once they can kind of see the bigger picture and kind of, okay, what's the end result going to be or what, you know, what's this going to look like, um, in the big picture, you know, maybe then they can move on and, and start to focus on the details, you know, right. cause they, they understand the bigger piece of it. Yeah. Right. I have one global and one analytic child and my, when we used to do our daily briefings at the dinner table. Okay, how was your day? You know, the one would say, oh, it was a good day. I was happy. Um, the sun was shining. That was it. And then my analytic um, daughter would go through minute by minute, everything that happened in her day. <laughs> and we had to sit and listen to that. <laughs> and it's so interesting um, how different the two can be. 
I must have a glue bucket then. Because <laughs> it's, it's fine. But then you do get details about conversations that have happened. And... Yeah, because we're all a little bit of everything, right? We have to be, I mean, um, to interact. So we can't be 100% global, 100% analytic. Um, we sort of learn to... Um, be more balanced in that. But there is a natural sort of falling off place that is our comfort zone in all of these styles. I think in all three of these styles that we've talked about, that we are born in a certain way, our brain functions in a certain way. And given jobs, given um, circumstances, we have adapted to them. But there is a much more natural place um, that is our comfortable place in each of these styles that we that really doesn't change over time. Yeah. And, you know, another example that just occurred to me with one of my children um, who's very detail oriented, you know, if if you ask her to tell you a story of what happened, I mean, it's literally every single little detail, um, just very similar to myself. But um, (laughs) one of the things I've noticed recently is that some of the ways that I'll realize that I haven't been specific enough with giving details about something when I've just kind of talked about, you know, the big picture. Oh, this is what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, this is what the plan is, Um, is I'll hear from her that she's confused. She's like, I'm just confused. I just don't understand. You know what? Like, what's what's going on? And I'm thinking in my head, well, I thought I explained it pretty good, you know, Um like, obviously, we're just going to, you know, we leave at this time and then, you know, and then this is what we're going to do. Um, but I realized, you know, that that what it was is I hadn't really gone into the details, you know, to say, oh, well, and then, you know, this is how we're going to take care of this thing. And this is, you know, what we're going to do next, you know, that, um, you know, by neglecting to kind of lay out some of the pertinent details, um, it left her feeling kind of confused, you know, because all she had was like, the big picture, you know, the end goal. And it, it, and she just didn't feel like she could really understand the situation without the details. Yeah. So you almost created insecurity in her without that. Yeah. Yeah. Here are three tangible takeaways that you can try out today to apply these concepts of communication styles to you and your child's relationship. Takeaway number one. Listen and pay attention to your child, to what they're saying and what they're not saying. First and foremost, as parents, you know, we really have to listen and pay attention to our kids. And that might sound really simple, um, but I think sometimes with just the chaos that we have in our lives and, you know, how busy we all are, uh, sometimes we don't do it as much as we need to. Um and when we really listen to them and pay attention, you know, like like when my daughter was expressing a couple of times, like she was just confused about the plan. And, you know, um, when I really paid attention to that, it allowed me then to really realize, oh, OK, what's going on here? You know, where maybe there's something about her style, you know, in terms of how she's understanding the situation and perceiving uh, what's going on, what's going on that, you um, you know, that, that is, means that I need to then kind of adjust my style, you know, in that moment to, um, to better fit, you know, her so that she's not ending up feeling insecure, you know, about something that's, it's not her fault, you know, that, um, that she is more detail oriented. Um, you know, so there are a lot of different ways, you know, that we can listen to our kids and pay more attention to them. And I'm sure we'll have, um, a whole, um, podcast on listening and active listening <laughs> skills with our and, kids. Erin, that's such a good example, too, because that could have gone many different ways. And if you didn't pay attention to her and her frustration, that frustration could have grown because you could have responded, I've told you. In fact, I've told you three times. Why don't you listen? Right? Exactly. That's how it could have gone. But you knew to say, wait, what did I what did I do to cause this confusion? So you were humble in that you paid attention to what she needed and you backed up and you gave her the detail that she needed. Yeah. And and I think that's a really important point is, you know, not 
placing blame on our kids uh, when we realize that their style differs from our own, right? And and where, you know, like if they're not quite getting something, you know, it's not because they're not paying attention, you know, um, it's, they're just in a really different place than we are. Um, and I think by, um, by trying to match them where they're at and recognize what they need in that situation, um, you know, then we can ultimately, you know, help them continue to, to feel confident and grow, you know, um, and maybe even understand their own style, you know, um, and among siblings, it's really helpful, you know, to, kind of talk about how we all have different brains you know like we've been talking about that since my kids were really little you know because they all learn really differently they all have a different way of interacting and communicating um and and none of them is better than the other you know it's just very different you know we're all very unique absolutely I think one good thing that I I often tell parents I work with when the, when I pick up, maybe they're not listening or paying attention because they've got their busy lives. Is to try is to practice that and to be intentional about listening and paying attention. So then it becomes just the norm, but maybe just like five minutes a day, <laughs> sit down round the table and really listen and and pay attention. Um especially if they're not used to doing that. It's just, okay, I'm going to be unintentional and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to ask my kids, I don't know, or pay attention to their reactions or listen, really listen to what they're saying, just like what you were saying with your your daughter. And then hopefully parents can pick that up, that what is about them that they're missing with their child yeah, and not blame the child. Yeah, that advice is golden. And, and I say that because I think um, when we're most frustrated, we actually we actually go to what comes most naturally to us. And it's probably the opposite of what needs to happen. Um, and so I think we just as parents need to be in the mindset of when we're most frustrated, we need to go to that that place of Zen, right? We need to just slow ourselves down so that we can pay attention so that we can listen. I think otherwise things will go sideways pretty quickly. Yeah, and that that kind of, you know, refers back to the idea of mindfulness, like just being present in the moment, you know, with our own selves so we can understand, you know, what what's going on with us, what what's stressing us, you know, what um what what's happening right in that moment cuz when we see that, you know, then we can notice, um, you know, like, wow, I'm, I'm in action mode because somebody just told me something, you know, my kid just told me that they're having a problem and I'm realizing that, you know, my immediate go-to is how do I solve this, you know, and realizing that I need to take a step back on that because what they need is not for me to figure out how to solve something for them, you know, um, and depending on where they're at, you know, if they're needing to just talk through it, you know, then matching them with that thinking, you know, and, and talking through it with them or, or if they're in feeling, you know, then just validating, you know, their feeling or, or kind of, you know, helping to, you know, identify what, what they're feeling so that they can, um, process that. Takeaway number two. Reflect and identify your own communication style, and then identify your child's communication style. Yeah, and I say make a game of it. I mean, play play around with that. Even write it on a piece of paper, what your style is, what your kid's style is, what your friends are, you know. <laughs> it's fun to sort of figure out the styles of folks, and then it's fun to challenge yourself to be that style even though you're not, right? just play act that style so that you get used to what it feels like um, in the other person's shoes. It'll give you more flexibility. Takeaway number three, when you're communicating with your child, adapt to meet their communication style. You know, so when you notice that they're, you know, in a different um, style of communication than you are, that, you know, that's conflicting, it's not allowing them to fully, you know, engage or, um, 
you know, than, than really just adapting, being flexible, you know, to try to move into their style for a little bit, you know, it, it might feel awkward, um, you know, but it's, but it's something that's going to help them feel, um, like, like what they're feeling or going through is valid, you know, um, that they're not just the odd one out or something, you know, that, um, that they can, um, you know, really engage meaningfully with you. It reminds me of what you said earlier, Erin, about children. They're not just small people. They're human beings and they have feelings and thoughts. And by adapting our style to meet their style and all that validation that comes along with that, then there's something about that child feeling empowered as well, which then has huge positive implications um, for that for children because they are they're people with feelings and they have a voice and just that little tweak that we have to do to listen to that voice then that the confidence that come from that is, will help them throughout their lives. Building Resilience is a project of King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, or KSARC, which is located in Renton, Washington. KSARC works to provide direct services to all victims and survivors of sexual assault in King County, Washington. Visit our website at kcsarc.org and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at kcsarc. Or send us an email at education at kcsarc.org. If you've experienced sexual assault or abuse, know that you are not alone. There are lots of resources to support you in your healing process. Programs similar to KSARC exist around the country. Visit the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, or RAIN, at rain.org to find a community sexual assault program near you. Thank you to Marie Peretta, Karen Cope, Erin Esteban, and Deanne Yamamoto for content in this episode. Dante Ariaga and Ashley Bessie for tech support and a special thanks to our super producer Logan Bessie on editing, consulting, and mastering the audio and for the immense support in making this project possible.